So if you haven't had a chance to be with us throughout the course of this year, let me give you just a little bit of background on what we're doing. Um, Beginning of the year, before all of the madness, we started a a year-long series called Core 52. It's based on a uh, devotional study created by Dr. Mark Moore, who was at Ozark Christian College and now is a pastor at uh, uh, Christ uh, Church of the Valley in uh, Arizona. And we've been following that all year long, even throughout uh, our, our pandemic and quarantine and reopening and everything else. And so each week we look at a core doctrine or verse uh, in the Bible. And the goal, of course, is for us to become more and more familiar with those verses and those doctrines and that it will build our faith and will transform our lives as a result. And so every week it's, it's something different. And so this week, the topic is love. And the core verse that we're looking at is, if you hadn't already figured it out from the sign up there, it's John chapter 3, verse 16, probably the most well-known Bible reference in the whole wide world. And so as you can imagine, as I'm sitting there thinking about that and, and thinking about what to share with y'all about that, I thought, uh, I thought John 3.16, guys holding up uh, people, not just guys, but people holding up signs in end zones and behind uh, soccer goals and uh, everywhere, really, all kinds of sporting events and different things around the world. And so I got to thinking, how did, how did that start? Who, who thought of this? How did this get going? Well, all kinds of people have done it over the years, but the one that gets the credit for being the first to really popularize this and really be known for it was a guy by the name of Steve Rollin, R-O-L-L-E-N. And back in the 70s, um, as really, well, there have been televising sports events ever since there's been television, but as it really, really took hold, he had this idea. Now, Steve Rollin, to begin with, in the start of his career, was just a self-promoter. He just wanted to be on TV. And so he figured out camera angles and figured out ways to be in the shot when Nicholas is putting or somebody's kicking a field goal or, or what have you. And the way that he got attention was, because just being in the crowd didn't mean anything, what he did was he bought this huge rainbow afro wig. Okay, And he would get in the shot and dance around, do crazy stuff, just so he would be noticed. And this went on for a while. He became something of a minor celebrity in the 70s. His greatest claim to fame, if you will, was a, was a bit part in a beer ad. That was as far as it took him. But he kept doing this. And so after an event, sometime in the late 70s, I'm not sure about the day, but sometime in the late 70s, after one of these events, he went back to his hotel room, and he turned the TV on in the hotel room, and it happened to be on, just happened to be on a uh, religious program, a televangelist's program. And Steve Rollin heard the gospel, and he responded to it and became a Christian. And so he, did, he didn't give up his career of being on TV, but he realized something. He realized that this was an amazing opportunity, probably one of the earliest to do what we would now call viral marketing. And he said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to show up 
at these events, and this is Steve himself, Steve Rollin, and that wig is not hard, it's hard not to miss. And he started off in, in the beginning wearing these t-shirts that Jesus saves or redeemed on him, something like that, and eventually got to the place where uh, they knew him by this, and so he had to start carrying signs like everybody else did into the games, and his just happened to have John 3.16 on it. He picked that verse to be the one to be his testimony to the world about Jesus. Well, they got to figure out who he was, but other people picked up the idea, and, and we're all familiar with this. We've all seen it at games of various kinds over the years, to the point where uh, the camera people were taught how to kind of position things to sort of get that out of the screenshot. And the other thing is, is we've all just kind of gotten used to it. Well, fast forward into the, uh, into the late 2000s, and this guy played for a, was quarterback for a college football team down in Florida. I am contractually and, and unable to mention that team because I'm married to someone who went to the other major Florida school. <laughs> and she's watching right now. She's like... <laughs> but Tim Tebow is, is a very strong Christian. And he started writing in a marker on his eye patch. I don't know what those things are called. Eye patch things. Scripture. And John 3.16 was the one he put on there a lot. And there he is in all his glory with John 3.16 on his, on his little eye things. And, and it became a, a huge deal. Rather than ignoring it in the press, it became a topic of conversation. Well, he went on to play for uh, Denver, and in one memorable late-season game, he started for Denver and had this on there. And, of course, they made a very big deal out of it. And reports vary, but there's no doubt when you go back and you look at Google searches on that day, on that particular day and the day to follow, and as that story progressed... Tens of millions of searches on Google for John 3.16. His testimony, uh, had a, because of the internet, had a, had a huge, huge potential impact. And so it's interesting to me that this is the verse that people of faith have tried to get the word out, literally the word out about into the world. We know the verse. It's, again, it's probably the most famous or well-known verse in the Bible. And it's John chapter 16. It's the core verse we're looking at today. And it says this, For this is how God loved the world. He gave His one and only Son so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. It's a compelling verse, a compelling testimony that these people, others like them, Tebow and Steve Rollin, have discovered and thought, this is the thing that I, in my 15 seconds of fame, want people to know about God. And that is, is that He loves. But here's the thing about it. And the question that came to my mind after doing a little bit of research on that was, okay, let's say I'm sitting in my house and watching Denver play, 
And they show Tebow up there with this thing on his face, and it says John 3.16. And because I have a smartphone, I'm curious, and I do this all the time, and everybody else does too, we immediately, while things are going on, sit there and start typing in a search. What is that about? John 3.16. And well, there's you know a zillion answers to that on the internet and references. So somebody pulls open a, a, a website Bible and this is the verse that's on your screen right now that pops up on theirs and they read that. And they go, oh, that's what that's about. I always wondered, what is, who is John and what happens at three, chapter, at three o'clock, 16 minutes after three? And all of a sudden they go, oh, no, 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 this is, this is from that Bible that like grandma had. And it says something, and it says that God loves the world, and that Jesus has something to do with that. And there's something about eternal life in there. And if my curiosity doesn't go much further than that, it's just kind of comforting to know that God loves me. Okay, back to the game. What do people hear in our world when they hear that God loved them so much that he sent Jesus into the world for our sake? Well, love is the common language of humanity. We talk about love all the time. We sing about love, we write about it, we analyze it, we romanticize it, we serialize it, we every eyes it you can think of. And it means a lot of different things to a lot of people. So love, in the, in the abstract, is very important to all of us. Being loved, feeling loved, knowing love, but what the world potentially reads out of that verse, that God loved the world and loves the world, isn't necessarily what John and Nicodemus talked about in John chapter 3 as they had this discussion. It's not exactly necessarily the same thing, and we can get off into some really confusing territory if we apply our culture's understanding of love to the way God loves the world. Cultural understanding of love in our 21st century context uh, it covers a lot of emotional and often physical ground. And as we discover, love in English is kind of an umbrella word for a lot of different things, a lot of different emotions, a lot of different actions. But in the Greek, that is the, what the, the Greek that is the, the language of the Bible, the common language of the Roman world of the day, there were several words that were used for love. If you've been around here for very long, you've heard me talk about these things before. If not, let me just briefly share with you how uh, the, the Greek language, which people normally used in that day, would use several different words where we use kind of an umbrella term for love. It was words like phileo. Phileo is your love for your friends. It's your love for your community. It's everything from your BFF to patriotism. It's sort of a, of a, of a general kind of diffuse sort of love for, for all kinds of people and things. There's another word that they used a lot, and that word it was storge. And storge was familial love. It was kinship love. It was family. It's blood is thicker than water kind of love. There's another word that was used a lot, and it's the one that is probably most quickly thought of in our world. In their world, it was eros. We get the word erotic from that, and we have taken the meaning of that and made it so laser tight that it's hard to imagine 
the larger context of it. In our world, eros is almost entirely physically sexualized. In their world, eros was desire, it was passion, it included the physical, but it had more built into it than that, but it was essentially uh, an experiential kind of passionate love. And so those words were common, and then there was another word that wasn't used as much before the Christian era, and that word is agape. So if you ever decided to go into your, into your Bible and look and you read all those passages about love in your Bible, this is the word that is most commonly used that we translate into English, love. Phileo, kind of community love, is in there. Uh, storge is in there. Eros is almost never used in the New Testament to describe love. But generally speaking, when the Bible talks about love, it uses that agape word. Agape is different. We know it now and, and understand it to be a kind of unconditional love. It's a love that holds others in a higher regard than ourselves. We love others more than we love ourselves. It is, it's the idea of, of a sacrificial kind of non-transactional love. It is me loving you whether you love me back or not, or vice versa. That's how we understand it now. What's fascinating, though, is that in the days of Jesus, agape wasn't that commonly used. And it didn't have that full sense of meaning to it. In fact, it was only after the Christians became well-known and began to have more and more influence that agape started to take on this kind of meaning. And the reason why was because the Christians loved with agape love. Where'd they get that idea? Where'd something like that even come from? Well, it comes from passages like John chapter 3, verse 16, which says, essentially, that God loves us with this kind of love. And it's important for us to grasp this. It's important for us to not let love take on all of those ancillary meanings, all those different external kind of not necessarily accurate meanings, and be sure that we have uh, fully appreciated how God really loves us. And, and when I hear this and when I read this, that God loves us, I kind of have a reaction. This is just for me, but I think it probably applies for all of us. And the first question that comes to my mind is, Why? Why does God love us like that? You know, it's not that humans are so intrinsically lovable. Now, let me show you a, a picture. Y'all say, aw. A box of puppies. That's lovable. Right? Until you take one of those little things home and you find out that they're not potty trained yet and they love to chew and after about two or three weeks maybe not quite so lovable after all can I get an amen on that one yeah some of us who are I could have put a box of kittens up there too it would have worked either way human beings are kind of like a box of puppies there's times there's times we really are we're cute we're lovable we're good nice to be around it's easy other times, not so much. But the Bible tells us 
with a straight face and very explicitly that God loves us. But we're so prone to say and do things that make us hard to love. And still, as we talked about last week, our core 52 topic last week was incarnation. The fact that God comes in flesh into our world, and Andy talked about that just a moment ago. The idea that God came here to be with us, to immerse himself in our world, to experience all those things that we experience, the good and the bad and the ugly. And yes, that's a movie reference, but it works. Trust me, it's all of it. And he knows the kind of messes we make of ourselves and others. He knows them not only from a heavenly, godly perspective, but also from experience. And still, God loves us. And I'm forced to ask the question, why? Maybe like somebody who read that verse for the first time after watching Steve Rowland back in the 70s and the 80s or Tim Tebow in the 2000s. Why would God do that? The reason why is because it's God's nature to love. It is essential to Him to love. John, one of Jesus' disciples and apostle, wrote long, long, long after that, maybe 30, 40 years after Jesus ascended into the heavens, and he's writing to these churches that are fairly young, and he's trying to help them understand what this life is like and what God is like. And in 1 John chapter 4, here's what he says about God. He says, anyone who does not know God, or does not love, pardon me, anyone who does not love does not know God, for read it with me, God is love. There it is, straight out of the text. Verse 9, God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. The same thing that John wrote in the gospel is the same thing that he writes in the letter to the churches. And he says, essentially, the same thing. It is God's nature. It is God's essential nature to love. Even when we are unlovable, even when we are unloving in return to ourselves, to others, to him, God is love. Verse 10 and 11, follow the thought. He says, this is real love. This is what real love looks like. If you want to know what God is all about and what love is all about, here it is. It's not that we love God. Because we're not lovable and we don't act in loving ways far too much. It's not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. This is the good news. And his point is, is since God loved us so much, we ought to love each other. We ought to do this for each other. Here's, here's what we need to catch. This is, this is what John is trying to get us to appreciate so then we can take this and move it over into, into our experience and our lives. God loved us so much that he relinquished, he gave up Jesus he let Jesus go to the world. He let him go knowing that we are unlovable and unloving far too much. He let Jesus go knowing what the outcome of that would be, that pure love in flesh was going to shine a light so bright, as he goes on to say in John 3, that people would flee from it because of their sin. Others would respond to it, but it was going to have an impact, and it was going to have a consequence. And the consequence of God's love is that he relinquished Jesus, he let him go into the world, and let him die for the sins of that world. 
to be that sacrifice he talks about in verse 10. So when people read John 3.16 while they're sitting on the couch watching a game and drinking their beer, what they hear is that God loved them. And He loved them so much He was willing to sacrifice everything for them. But here's the thing. Steve Rollin, by the way, the rainbow Afro wig guy, he had his moment of fame, but his life took a really seriously bad turn. Uh, it seems likely that he probably suffered most of his life with some degree of mental illness, but it progressed and got worse and worse and worse. And by the early 90s, he had taken to acting rather violently to the point that one day he took a gun and went to a hotel near Los Angeles International Airport, took a housekeeper hostage, barricaded the door with nails, and started threatening to shoot at airplanes at LAX. He was still trying to get the word out. Pro tip, don't do that. They tried him and convicted him, and he's serving three life sentences in prison in California now. Tebow, fortunately, hasn't gone off the rails. <laughs> Here's where we're going with this. The effect of someone reading John 3.16 and hearing about the love of God and even getting a bit of a glimpse of what that might look like needs a lot more reinforcement than guys on TV. It needs a lot more reinforcement than just seeing it on signs at ball games or on t-shirts or on the news or in commentary on ESPN. And that's where we come in. That's where we get to play our part. And that's what John tells us in verse 11 of 1 John 4. He says, because God loved me and you that much, it's not that we go to ball games and hold up signs or wear shirts with John 3.16 on them. Well, that's fine if you want to do that. What it is, is that God loved us that way. We turn around and love other people that way. We love others. And we love each other in a way that is similar. When you back up a chapter in 1 John, he talks about this. He says, we know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. And he reminds us, so we ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. And, and the particular example that he uses has to do with our economic capacity in this case. It's not limited to that, but that's not a bad place to start. He says, if someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need, but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? John hits us right between the eyes where we really live, and that is that we tend to be kind of materialistic. We tend to kind of hold on to what we've got. And John uses this as an example, as an illustration. He says, if we're not willing to be generous with other people, how can we say with evidence that we really have loved God like he's loved us? But I don't want to limit it just to your finances or just to your willingness to donate. And this church is amazingly generous when it comes to donations and of generosity. But let's don't limit it to that. Let's don't leave it at that. In John chapter 15, going back to the gospel, 
John records Jesus as saying this. He says, this is my commandment. By the way, commandments are meant to be what? Obeyed. This is not my suggestion. This is not my opinion. This is not my good idea of the week. This is a commandment. The commandment is to love each other in the same way I have loved you. There's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Don't forget, he's just washed their dirty feet. Don't forget, he's about to be submitted to the worst beating a human being could ever experience and live. Don't forget he's going to hang on a cross and cry out to God for, to forgive the world. Don't forget that he said, that's how much I love you. Now please, go out and figure out a way to love each other and to love the world around you. And that church is how people are going to know why John 3.16 is so important. That's how they're going to know what agape love looks like. It's when you and I share that kind of love with the people in our world. It's when you and I put someone else ahead of ourselves, hold them in higher regard. It's when you and I decide that this isn't a transactional thing, that if you don't love me the way I expect, I'm not going to love you, but I'm just going to love you. And every single one of us here has our own amazing and unique ways of loving so it's not up to me to necessarily tell you exactly how to do that. But my job here today is to do my version of holding up a sign that says John 3.16, that God loves you so much that he sent Jesus for you. And he sent Jesus so that you could live forever. And it's my job to be sure that in some way or another that I demonstrate that to you in a way that's meaningful to you. And it's your job to go out into your world not necessarily holding up a sign, but saying with every breath, with every motion, with every action, that John 3.16 is true, and here's how you can know it. Because I love you. Let's try to love like Jesus loved. Let's try to be living embodiments of John 3.16 in this coming week. Church, we're going to pray about this for a minute, and then we're going to sing a song together. And we invite you at that time, if something is on your heart, if there's a, a need.